All right, hello and welcome to episode 34 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are going to be discussing Applause of a Distant Crowd by Vola. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. We hope to educate and inspire you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music. There are also a lot of great podcasts out there, so we're very honored that you're with us today. And we would love to connect with you. So please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram. You, those links are in this description of the episode. We always want to thank our patrons as well for helping me, helping us and these episodes happen. You can become a patron with the link in the description as well. And speaking of, please stick around to the end of this episode regarding a special announcement, which is going to be awesome. Uh, so Vola is a Danish-Swedish progressive rock band formed in Copenhagen, Denmark in 2006. Their music explores a mix of progressive rock, electronica, and metal. They currently have two studio albums at the moment, In Mazes in 2015 and Applause of a Distant Crowd in 2018, which we will be discussing today. And Vola is also vamping up for their newest album, Witness, to be released on May 21st of this year. That is 2021. And we are super excited because we actually got two members of the band today, Asker and Nikolai. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So I just want to, real quick, before we jump into everything, can you guys just uh, introduce yourselves and tell us your role in the band real quick? My name is Esker, and I sing and play guitar in the band. And my name is Nikolai, and I play bass and sing backing vocals live, at least. Awesome. Very cool. So today we're going to be talking about Applause of a Distant Crowd, your 2018 release. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to get some historical context to that as well. It's really cool when we talk with bands to know where they came from and some of the history that, you know, helped form the record. Um, so, you know, band sounds evolve and how they change and how they maintain their identity and everything from a previous work plays a factor, I think. Uh, so the journey from In Mazes, your 2015 release, um, to Applause of a Distant Crowd was pretty eventful, I would say, for at least from what we've researched. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys got signed by a record label, whereas before, that was completely self-produced. Is that correct? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, how how was that transition? Was, was it different writing under a label, or was the transition relatively smooth? Uh, were there any constraints that, that they maybe put on you that affected your writing? process in a negative or even a positive way uh well i think it was it was very important for us when we yeah decided that we wanted to have a, a label uh, releasing our music that it should be a label that didn't like have, have any artistic uh, influences on what we do so right. they like we, we've we've sent them the the demos and of course the final master uh, and they like said what they think of it but uh, it's, they've never put any restraints on us it's just been uh, artistic freedom that's awesome that doesn't always happen because uh, you know they're obviously you know no no i guess I mean, not so yeah yeah so that's excellent uh, you, you also got a new drummer from your first record to your second record you know and a new personality adds a new dynamic and you know it definitely affects the writing process, I think. So, so how was it writing with, with a new member? Um, it was um, actually most of applause for this crowd. We had already written when we, we met Adam. Um, we hadn't recorded it yet, but most of the songs, as far as I remember, 
they were pretty pretty finished. But uh, for a, a, like we always program drums when we write the demos for the songs, and like the, the demo, the drums and the demos they sound totally like Adam style. So it was really a match, a good good match. But it wasn't uh, wasn't this planned like that. And of course, Adam totally put his own thing on on it when he then recorded the drums for the songs. But uh, most of them were were written before he joined. Oh wow! So I think wit- witnesses even is even more Adam, maybe. But applause is also a lot of Adam. But uh, yeah, was there anything anything that was in the demos that was that he kept? Some part of the so some of the drum tracks that you writ that you wrote previously before he was there did any of those stay did he play or copy what some of those that were played or did everything that he did was different on on when he actually recorded the tracks are you first asking no i just wanted to say that he when we when we uh like program the drums we try to make them very authentic in terms of what can be played so i think he, he, he pretty much liked what we had done um so I think the changers were not that big. It was uh the difference was more profound here with the latest album in terms of how he made the drum tracks his own because some of the songs were born from from his rhythms. So yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So, uh, well, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about uh, "Applause of a Distant Crowd"? Where just where was it recorded? Uh, how long did it take? Uh, the lineup for the record uh, is that is that also the current lineup for today? Just a little bit of back back history and story around the record. So um, we recorded the drums at uh, a nice studio here in Copenhagen called Heyman Studio, um, but the rest of the stuff we recorded as at Askus. Asco's place because uh, we are kind of a digital band. We don't use guitar or bass amps, so it doesn't really make sense to uh, to render an expensive studio for that. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's uh, at, at for drums. It's nice to have a, a nice room to play in. So that's yeah. Also, uh, what we did on on our newest album, uh, Witness. So seems to work. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Aska, you mixed uh, mixed the album, and we got it mastered by Andy Vendette, uh, who I think lives in the U.S. Yeah, I think he at that point he he had his mastering studio in New York City, I think, and uh, yeah, he has done some Porcupine Tree stuff, oh, wow. Kevin Townsend, I think, um, yeah, just some albums that we thought sounded great, so. Um, yeah, it was an easy pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can hear it. I mean, this this album is is mixed and and mastered excellently. I mean, the sound quality on it is is absolutely stunning. So that's perfect. It sounds great. I, I was quite inspired by like those um, like early two thousands Porcupine Tree albums, like In Absentia, for example, and Deadwing, in terms of the production. And um, I think he worked on those two and even that. So, so to get him on board for that was, was really cool. Well, the payoff was worth it. Yeah, yeah, the, the work was was definitely worth it. It sounds great. Um, I was curious 
what you think the the different the biggest difference between in mazes and applause was um and if you prefer one to the other and when i say difference i guess that is kind of broad because that could refer to a variety of, of aspects of it so uh do you think compositionally it was it was you know that was the biggest difference uh do you think just the environment in which you were recording was different uh, you know, different personnel you know with the, with the new drummer and everything um was there a big difference between these two records and what do you think that was um well i think applause was a reaction to amazes in at least two ways first it, it was a reaction to amazes being very like processed sounding and um not with a lot of dynamics um very high energy um, and I just thought, I think, I guess we all thought it was interesting to create something more dynamic, more organic sounding. Um, that sounded more like a band playing in a room. So it definitely was a reaction to, to that. But also in terms of the songwriting, I think when we made in Mesa's, the, the, the whole gent genre was really exploding. And um, I was... I was getting a bit tired of like that scene. It's meant a lot of bands sounding the same in a way. Yeah. And um, and you know, it, it Mesa's also had had that vibe. But when it became time to create some new songs, uh, it just felt right to to get some somewhere else, just to get away from that uh, the vibe and. Uh, like show ourselves that we could create something different that we weren't uh, necessarily bound to that specific sound yeah yeah definitely so yeah i think uh i think also maybe it wasn't that conscious but uh but that the second album had to be different from the first because if if we did very similar albums on the first two albums then you can never change after that then you are pretty much stuck mm. but if if you if you surprise people on your second album then people won't know what to expect for the rest of your career maybe because you you have already shown from the beginning that you won't be doing the same album twice and that's much yeah. more interesting i think so i think that's it wasn't something we talked about but uh, i think it uh, it made sense in that in that way as well yeah you know, it's also very challenging to do as well to, to, to break the mold of what you saw as being successful the first time it's like okay how do, or if we're going to do something different we don't know how people are going to respond to that so it's almost there's there's definitely a risk that comes involved with that too uh but i also call it kind of the the stephen wilson mindset it's like i'm not going to do the same yeah. album twice like yeah. don't expect me to do the same record twice <laughs> then you turn it you'll turn into cold play very quickly yeah. and you're doing the same record 14 times right and so yeah that's that's uh that's admirable that you guys are wanting to step out of the mold of what you guys did the first time yeah i, I think that. also that that's awesome the ep we made before in mesas um the monsters yeah. ep also had like a similar vibe to in mesas so we'd already done that on an ep and then a full length so okay just felt like we we're ready for some uh, right. explosive new space. 
Yeah, I think it also comes down to not only do how we want to be perceived, whether we seem to be stagnating as, you know, just doing the same thing, but also what yeah. we want to write just for ourselves. Cause I imagine after a while, it's like, yeah, we've done this twice before. I, I just personally, even if no one else heard this music, even if it was just me and the rest of the band, this is just, we've done that. We've done, you know, we're bored now. So just personal fulfillment. We got to try some new areas anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It has to have that. Well. Yeah. That, uh, that is something that, that you would yeah. maybe wish yeah. that other bands would have done. But again, you're happy that no one has done it. So you can take it, but but uh, yeah, that you are a fan of your own band, but that's hard to be as well because you you listen to the same songs so many yeah. times that uh, of course you lose all the sense of what's real at some point. <laughs> but uh, you can try and listen to it as as a fan as well, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's something we try. Yeah, that's also an interesting concept too. Just the idea of how do you find that balance of being totally involved and working towards it and also detaching yourself enough to be able to objectively listen to it. That's, that's a hard, you know, that's a hard line to walk, you know? <laughs> oh, especially, especially if you're mixing it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're mixing your own music. Yeah. I know people that, that, that will prefer not to do that at all. Like we're, I'm not, I don't want to touch it. Like somebody else do it because they don't want to be in that, in that chair of sitting right. in that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very interesting. Uh, I, I I always like to uh, to to look at at some reviews uh, uh, of all this, and they're all good, so don't worry. But uh, but <laughs> when, when looking up some review, I know, but looking up some reviews on uh, on this record, it was really interesting. It was is very well received from from all the sources that I that I found. Uh, there's a website called Sputnik Music, and the official written review on it, uh, the person who who wrote it gave it a perfect score. Gave you guys a five out of five. Uh, it had some excellent things to say. He said the unlikely gems of Vola's set proved to be the distortion-free Ruby Pool, Vertigo, and Green Screen Mother. These tracks are exactly the kind of respite from overbearing guitars that Inmazes sorely needed but lacked. Their presence on applause illustrates Vola's newfound mastery of subtlety in composition as well as the confidence that the band have in their songwriting while also improving the pacing of the album immensely. So we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, I just thought I'd follow up. Did you actively try to include some softer songs on the album since there weren't very many on Inmazes? Yeah, um, I guess we were inspired to create something that had a, like more peaks and valleys than, uh, than Inmazes. I guess there, there's always an inspiration from, right. from bands that I listened to when I was more extensively, I listened to those when I was younger, like Pokemon 3, for example, and Opeth, which rely heavily on on dynamics, both within the songs, but also in terms of from from song to song on an album. Um, and yeah, we, we didn't really do that on Emesis. There's Emily in the middle, but uh, other than that, it's pretty much uh, full on energy, high energy. Right. Um, yeah. So this time, so for applause to to like at the whole album as a uh, like a curve that you can move many ways, it was really uh, something that was interesting to explore. I think it was also about sticking to the vibes for a little bit longer. Like 
in Mesa's had some quiet moments, like even in, but they were just in 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 the songs, like there was this quiet verse maybe in mm. in Mesa's, for instance, or the the chorus is also kind of mellow or. So I think in for applause we maybe explored that more for a full song the same vibe where in Mesa's had more of these. Maybe the songs in themselves were more dynamic actually on in Mesa's. But the album in total is more dynamic on applause because it's spread out to the songs a little bit more. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, song song to song, it was it was changing different vibes and moments, like going from Ghost to Smart Friend to Ruby Pool. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, just, it's like whoa, we're doing all this. Yeah, yeah, and we might do that in some songs in on Mesa's, you know, but just in one song we would do the same shifts. So it's definitely in our DNA to try and. Uh, Things just sound way heavier if they're against something soft. Yeah, um, absolutely. And other other way around, so it's a fun thing to play around with. Yeah, that's really awesome. One of the one of the things I really enjoy about it is you know coming from a drummer's perspective, the rhythms on the record is something I I personally enjoy a lot. And uh, there's a review of this guy it explains it perfectly, rather in a rather entertaining way that I really like. It's from a blog called uh, Angry Metal Guy. And he says this, quote, shocking technicality and off-tempo rhythms demonstrating the progressive heart pumping and varying influences around this body. In fact, one of my favorite moments from 2018 was watching metalheads attempt to headbang to these guys' odd time signatures at the Damnation Festival recently. In all, Applause is a collection of compulsive songs which makes for a compulsive album. I have found myself reaching to replay it when I should have been working on reviewing albums and preparing my thoughts for my year-end list. Vola is coolness personified and exemplified, and Applause is one of the most addicting albums I've heard in 2018. Pretty high, pretty high praise of the record. And so, what what I wrote, what I said for this mm. though, is that when writing uh, what he calls shocking technicality and off-tempo rhythms, my question is, I just want to know: mm-hmm. Do these rhythms just come to you, or, or or do you write something and then you modify it to maybe make it a little bit more interesting to you and the band members? How does that construction happen? I think it was. It was very important for us to discover Mishuga. Um, when you when you start digging their way of making rhythms, it's hard to uh, to go back to any other way of thinking about them, because they have this way of almost always playing like a straight four four in the drums, and then having odd time signatures played by the guitars and bass. So. You have this uh, strange thing going on, while at the same time you can just pop your head to the four-four, and uh, yeah, that's just something we adopted and wanted to yeah ex- explore when that first got into our system. So it's it's funny because you you, you hear this about odd time signatures sometimes, but uh, yep, I think to us it's it's mainly just four-four. Because that's that's what the drums play, and that's what's most audible. So that that's how we mostly feel it, I guess. Not not so much the the odd time things that goes uh, on. I think it's also the we we all started playing drums uh, when we started playing music, both Asker and Martin, and of course Adam, our drummer, and me. So uh, yeah, we are rhythm is maybe the element that inspires most of us the most, uh, like just having a chord, a, a chord sequence yeah. of four chords that 
that can be sometimes hard to make something different with. Yeah, that makes sense. Even though it's definitely possible. But if you have those same chords that have been used a million times, but change some some rhythms, that's just it's way easier to work with to make it sound fresh to you. Yeah, because that's something you always search for is that feeling of freshness that's a little bit different than what you heard, but it's still relatable to the world you know. But the um, rhythms just is a great way of getting some food somewhere different with the same material that everyone else has. And that's like a door that I guess Meshuggah and other progressive metal bands uh, opened. That uh, yeah, Meshuggah didn't, didn't really... Yeah. Yeah, it's really helpful. Meshuggah haven't maybe delved that much into like the harmony part yep. or like being more melodic. That's like what we try to do. Of course, they're melodic in their own way, but uh, I, I think that's what we, we we found that we could use the rhythms, but go in a more melodic way with more normal chords and less dissonance, and that that could sound cool. I um, think that's that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, because that's something that I don't know. Just on the surface, you, you don't think about that much. It's, you know, when someone is writing a song, it's interesting that you're all drummers and you kind of think in a very rhythmic way. Because when you're writing music, I feel like it could be easy to be like, well, what what's an interesting chord here? Well, to make your music interesting, you don't have to have the most complicated chord structure ever. Mm. Yeah. If you use that very simple thing, I mean, Nikolai, you were saying that it's, you know, more normal chords, but you place them in, in a different rhythm and you kind of mix that around. That's super, that's super unique. That's super cool. That's very creative. So I, I just think that's really interesting that all of you guys have a very rhythmic approach to everything. And there are times that when I'm writing something, I'll be like, this chord isn't that great. But if I play it in this way with this rhythm, that is just that, that really, that's great. That really, <laughs> yep. Yeah. As so. well as accent patterns too. Like with, cause Drew and I are also, we're, we're the drums and the bass, right? We're, we are the real rhythm section when we play, when we play music together. And so that's also another thing is like placement right? When your placement of kick drums and snares and the downbeat and stuff like that, where is this stuff going? And I hear, and at least in end mazes, I don't know if uh, as much on applause, but stuff is like going over the bar line and, uh, and, and stuff like that is, is just sort of, the bar is kind of fluid in a sense where it's just more about like head bopping and finding the accent, like it, you know, the bass pattern in, uh, in Ruby pool, like just hitting that do 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 right? Hitting all of those accent patterns as you're listening to it. It's a lot of fun. It makes it fun to cool, listen yeah, to. Oh, yeah, and it, it just makes it fun. Yeah, fun to play. It's uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Very engaging. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just a very satisfying way to to look at rhythms, I think. Definitely. Um, I I also read um, someone else gave it a, a perfect score, uh, you know, a 10 out of 10 on, on a website called Progressive Music Planet. Uh, and they, they had this to say, much like when your favorite team continues their winning streak, Vola has executed another victory that should catapult their music into the ears of even more discerning melodic metal fans. As should be with any progressive band, Vola evolves while maintaining their identity. It's hard to be objective when reviewing a band that has thoroughly etched themselves into my psyche as much as Vola has. I've done my best. I gather Vola has done their best and we're able to reap the benefits. Nice. Um, so I, I, and I, I took that quote because someone once asked Destin and me if we thought our second album was an evolution of our first one. Um, it was darker in a lot of ways, and it was a bit more ambitious. Mm -hmm. 
but it was hard for me to answer that question because I had an affinity for our first record as well. And maybe part of that was nostalgia. Who knows? Um, but it's an interesting question. And I thought I'd ask, I'd pose the same one to you. Do you feel that applause of a distant crowd is an evolution from in mazes? I would call it an exploration more than because like there's like, like making the third album now, there's also some stuff we realized that we like from Invasus that we didn't bring on or that might be interesting to, to work with again. So it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it might feel like a, an evolution when you're in it because that makes it fulfilling for you. But I think it takes 10 years or 15 or 20 to look back on it and, and be <laughs> truth. Was that the... A development, or was it just uh, trying something different, or stagnating, or going the wrong way, or whatever? But it, so far, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like a, I would say it just feels like an exploration of of our sound still, and what we can do, and uh, still sound like Mola. And uh, that's it's very interesting to set the the limits. This is how soft we can sound, and how heavy we can sound, and that's fun fun to to explore and try stuff with in that parameter. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and what do you say, Aska? Is it in, in, in the word evolution, you can also view it as, um, or ask yourself, is, is it better than the album before? Like the evolution always moves towards something more well-functioning, I would yeah. say that's in the word, in the, in the phenomenon. And I, I, I don't think it's, better than in mazes like i don't think i don't think the songs work better or it's just different in its own nice way i think um but it's, it's not a it's not a more evolved album in that sense that it's uh, that it's better i would i would say and and that was honestly my reaction when someone had asked that that, that term evolution i was like I, I i felt a similar thing that that you guys are both expressing i was like it's just different it's just different. I'm glad it's different. That's a good thing. Like we discussed yeah. earlier about, you know, making sure that you have a diverse sound and you're not repeating the same thing. But um, yeah, it's just different. So I, I totally get that. It's weird. It was it was an interesting question, but I thought I'd pose it because yeah. you never know. Some people might think, oh, this is so much better mm. than our first one. Yeah, yeah sure. so much better than our last or whatever, you know. But it's it's interesting to always hear the perspective. Yeah. When you know, maybe the writers if we are reflecting on their own music. If we go even further back, maybe we can find some some stuff that we're not happy with. <laughs> but yes, I don't know. If you go back far enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What was this? Yeah. This was, I made this in don't, don't do that. second grade. <laughs> don't go back. <laughs> um, so uh, I just I just wanted to to make a, a, a quick observation from a review, and I just had to just unequivocally agree with this person, um, uh, Sputnik music the same reviewer who gave you that that perfect score said there's a kind of pervading spaciousness in the songwriting and production that allows every instrument to not just coexist but thrive at all times and to really shine when called upon to carry a section and i just want to say i agree that there's not one instrument or element that outshines the rest of the others and that's not always an easy thing to do to maintain that balance when you're writing more challenging music you know serving the song is key and I think that you guys have done that with Applause of a Distant Crowd. And I just want to give applause oh, to Distant stop it. Stop. Individual for that. 
in all sincerity. I think it's it's very well balanced, but still challenging at the same time, and and, and very complex music. So it's that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Thanks. You're very welcome. <laughs> very welcome. It's coming out of the, some of the reviews. I, I we obviously we have some of our our observations on it that we that we love to discuss, and just wanted to nerd out with the album a little bit. Mm. I think for both of us, uh, for both Drew and I, with the the metal elements were kind of the, some were one of the bigger parts of the record that kind of stuck out that really push out to the listener, I believe, uh, with moments like what we're listening to right now. Like this is just really up in your face, really up there, and uh, and so the the guitars are crunchy, drums are huge, right? Punchy kick drums, distorted bass, like aspects that are expected in in certain ways with with metal music. And uh, which are stuff like Smart Friend Whaler and uh, like Alien Shivers and stuff like that. But like the more that you listen to it, the more that we both, I believe, really, really enjoyed Asker, your vocals that were that that were that were coming on top of this, because I think in a band that you mentioned before was somebody like Opeth or even some of these other bands that have like extremely um, almost. uh, Per, not, not pervasive, but just extremely uh, heavy, rough vocals that are sitting on top of all of the other crazy stuff that's going on underneath in the music. And your voices, you can do that, like with some of your screams and stuff like that that you were doing, like the end of Wailer or something like that. Uh, I think it's Wailer, I believe. Um, but we both really, really enjoyed uh, yes, my friend. the way the. Is that what it is? Okay. That's right. The end of Smart Friend. That's right. And. Um, yeah. And so that was one of the things that really helped us stay engaged, actually, was was the almost clean vocals. Uh, here it is, yep. Yeah, there we go. But, which, which I believe personally works in moments, right? But for us, it was one of those deals that if it's used too much, then it kind of, you kind of get numb by it, and it normally doesn't have the effect that you want to have with going up to that register, going into that kind of roughness. And so I, I wanted to ask you if that was something that you intentionally wanted to do, uh, because it, it obviously seems like you can do that. I don't know if it's a choice not to, or if it's just not your style. I just wanted to kind of dig into the vocal aspect of it. Well, it's, uh, it's something that I, I like to have as a, like a highest gear that I can, uh, throw out of the, like the closet and just yeah a tool in the toolbox <laughs> exactly and yeah for it to work that way it has to be used in a very few places i think but yeah it's a good question uh, it's i've just always sung more clean vocals it's uh it's not something that i've explored that much uh, i like when other bands do it like i love Mishuga, for example and opeth and soil work many bands that use dirty vocals a lot so it's not that mm-hmm. I, i'm not fond of it at all it's just that uh it, it feels right to use it as an effect more as a more than as a, a permanent layer as a style yeah yeah um yeah but it, yeah, it's not really it's not that a uh, conscious of a decision really if, if we if we write a song that where it fits to have it more all the way through we would do that, I guess. So yeah, it's just going going with yeah. the flow. I, 
I would agree with you. Like it's it definitely works more as a texture, yeah, rather than a style. And uh, not that it wouldn't work as 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 a style, but I I like it in variation. And that's one thing that I really really enjoyed about it is that it when it hits, it's like you said that it's that highest gear. It's like holy cow! Like we thought that you're at level ten. No, you're not. Yeah. Uh, you're not there yet. Like <laughs> now yeah. we're at level ten, and I, it's just it's just great when you can hit when stuff like that can be unexpected when you already think that you're at the level that is hundred percent, and then when you hit hundred and ten percent. There's not many bands that are out there that I know of can come in in unexpected moments like that. And where you're listening to something, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of heavy. There's a lot of modern heavy stuff out there. But when it hits that heavy, that's as far as it goes. Like, that's as far as it'll ever get. There's nothing really else that they can do as a band musically or vocally that, that impacts it in that way. But like, then it just takes it up a notch. Yeah. Because when, when if somebody comes in there with the, the full rough vocals, that's, that's the 100%. Like yeah. they've now established that's the farthest that we're going to go. And mm. there's just nothing else that they can do at that point. So I, I love that aspect. I know that Drew wanted to ask you a question about the, uh, it's the... Uh, like the lyrical content and stuff like that, but uh, not even the lyrical content, the, uh, just the way that you, what was your metaphor? What was your metaphor, Drew? I'm trying to think of what it was. Well, it wasn't so much the, the lyrical content. It was just, yeah, my I apologize. That wasn't right. My, the, the observation that, that I got and, uh, this is just when I was listening to both records within mazes. It seems like the, the keyboards um, allowed the music to flow freely through the air, like a soaring bird, which made it, you know, feel it, it was an interesting contrast to the heavy metal sections during the verses, which made it feel very grounded, like a charging bull. And I don't know why, my wacky brain decided to work this way. But to me, I was like, this is like a bird soaring through the air and a bull charging across kind of an open traversed or non-traversed rather a very open space, like a desert or, you know, something like that, a very dry area. And I was like, this is this, this type of music is the bird and the bull. So I was like, I'm, this is, this, that's what I'm, that's what I'm calling this type of music, the bird and the bull. And, uh, Catchy. That's uh, that's what I call you guys. It's the name. Of, like, that's the name of your next record. There <laughs> shoot, shoot! I was just like, Bola, but, the bird but the what's bowl. funny? But what's funny though is that he didn't know. You didn't know this at the time when the what Vola means, which is to fly, right? In Italian. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So so he didn't know that, mm-hmm. which is which is funny because I had no it's idea. Like he got this idea of the of the bird soaring, and he had no idea that that was that was part of the thing. And I think I read somewhere that you aim to have that feeling in your music of soaring and flying and and that element or idea of your music is something that uh well at least i know that we really really enjoyed especially from the chorus perspective like you have that those moments where everything's sort of like taking off in a way uh like feed the creatures off of in mazes and uh, applause of a distant crowd the title track those those were the the chorus just takes off and it's super cool My, my question though that i had for when it comes to that feeling can you explain to us when you feel like you've succeeded in creating that or that atmosphere or soundscape? Like what, when do you know it's like, yeah, that's what we want. Like what, at what point do you find when it comes to the choruses or whatever that this is the, this is the feeling that we wanted. Let's go with that. Well, I think it goes, goes back to what Nikolai mentioned about us being like the, the music fans that we write the songs to. Like we, we have to be, 
excited ourselves at what we create. Yeah. So when we write demos, I like to like put them on my phone and take long walks and listen to it. And for it to be good, it just it has to hit me the way like my favorite music from other artists uh, does. And I have to get this the sense of elevating a bit when the chorus comes. Yeah, it's it's definitely diff- difficult to describe that feeling, but just yeah, the feeling of going to another place. Um, so yeah, I, I I compare our music with, with those artists and see if we if I get that same that same feeling. Yeah, just as a as a as a music listener. Yeah, it's like it's like when you're walking, taking long walks, and you just forget where you are. It's like, wait. How am I gonna get home? Sorry, I, I just, I just. Let... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, where did I go? I don't, I don't remember. So that's really cool. Yeah. Is that the same thing? Is that the same way for you, Nikolai? Like when you guys listen? I know because from a, you get you, you're coming from like more of the rhythmic standpoint, but I know that that's obviously helping grounding that. Space, right, right. How is your approach when it comes to something like that? Because normally, at least for me, like it's always when people say drums or bass, it's always anchoring holding it down anchor anchor the song kind of deal um which is the complete opposite of what these choruses that we're describing being that they're soaring and they're flying like how how does your approach when it comes to playing bass uh affect the song in that way i think songwriting wise i think none of us think about our instruments like uh, i don't think about the bass at all um as as its own thing it's all about this the song and the there are some riffs that I'll write on guitar, and there's some bass lines Eska will write on the bass that we'll use. Of course, I'll, I'll, when we record the album, I'll play it on the bass, but the demo might have Eska's bass on it because it was his idea when he was writing that part at his house. Or, so it's uh, I, I don't really think about my or the bass as an instrument. Uh, I started playing drums, as I said, and then played guitar and then played bass. and. It's, I don't feel uh, uh, that attached to that to the instrument per se. Yeah. And uh, I, I love when I can get ideas uh, from the other guys on what I should play on my bass. If it's a good idea, then. Uh, but for like judging if the idea works, I think it, that, that it's just it's very hard. And uh, I think for me, there's two moments that are very important. That's the first time I hear the idea. If, for instance, Aska has put up a new demo the first time, and then after I've listened to it a few times and some time has passed, and then listen to it again when, like, after a few days where I haven't listened to it again, yeah. th- those are the, the moments of, of truth of an idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's very hard to judge, you know. Right. It's, and being all multi instrumentalists at all, it seems like you all are kind of coming from the perspective of serving the song rather than playing your instrument which kind of takes the ego out of it doesn't it i I would imagine if it does just because it's like everybody can all play totally yeah everybody can kind of all play it's not about oh there has to be a key solo here for martin you know yeah when i joined the band i hadn't played bass before for real they, they wanted needed a bass player so i i got i picked up my uncle's bass and uh, went to the practice the songs beforehand and uh I played with a pick, and so it's it's yeah. It, the instrument doesn't 
matter that much to me. Of course, now I, I then later on went to the conservatory playing bass, and so it's it's not like I haven't practiced it at all. But the, I don't feel that connected to it. I feel more connected to the mu- musician side, of course, uh, definitely. And I think Eska feels the same way, maybe. And uh, Martin is he, he's probably the weakest guitar player of us. But uh, he, he even <laughs> has, but he, ha- he has a guitar, and uh, he he played drums earlier, as I said. So uh, I think all most yeah. of us think in that broad sense of the song, and not that much about the individual stuff. That there has to be a bass solo in the song or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is is Adam also multi instrumentalist? Does he play everything or something outside of drums? He has started playing a little bit of guitar now, I think. But I don't. I think that's quite okay. recent. Um, but he's also the youngest member in the band, so he has time to learn. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. That's really cool, man. That's really cool. I mean, we all know that you saw Asker's hair, and that was what brought you to the band. We all know that, but it was very different back then, his hair. <laughs> I, think you, I think you had the mohawk. But oh, you had a mohawk? Oh, man. Classic. I, I mean, I, I can't relate because I think I've had the same hair since I was like 12 years yeah. old. Yeah. So right. me too. It's, we're it's pretty, basically we're pretty about boring. the same for me. I, we're pretty boring. I, dude, I'm I'm like, I look like the most unmusician musician ever. Like, I, I just don't look like, I, like, I don't look like one at all. Why not, why not spend the That's lockdown so like, growing it uh, long then? That's right. <laughs> We've got the perfect no opportunity. No excuses, exactly. <laughs> me too. Let me see here. I know we have uh, a section. Drew, do you want to ask? Do you want to ask any other questions before we jump into uh, patron stuff here? I think it'd be good to to get their their questions posed to to Nikolai and, and Asker. So let's. I think we should awesome. jump into the patron questions. Awesome. Yeah. So we just uh, we have six questions from some some listeners of our show. They are big fans of you guys, and so they uh, they shot in a message, and I'm just going to play those for you guys. And if you don't understand anybody just uh, we, we have it transcribed so we can read it out for you but i'll play them here so here is okay. our here's our first patron question everybody who's listening if you haven't had a chance to check out our patreon please do so the link is in the description you can get all kinds of really awesome benefits and stuff like that for the show so here is our first question for you guys hey guys this is rogan longtime listener first time caller anyways my question is do you start with a concept or feeling and build your songs and albums around it or just let the music and lyrics evolve organically as the writing process progresses. Thanks. It's very often uh, unconscious, like what what it will become. It's uh, it's just the spur of the moment. Writing a riff and then maybe making some few changes to that riff so it becomes a verse, and then putting some chords on that rhythm from the verse and the riff and creating a chorus and just yeah, it's. Um, it's never really thought out before. In terms of the lyrics, it's it's about being inspired by yeah, by, by the demo really and just writing whatever comes to mind. And then when it becomes time to make the final lyrics for the studio recordings, it's yeah. about working working with, with those demo lyrics and just making them to, into a full song. And then that's that's where the I think the patterns appear. I guess is there a a theme going through it all so it's uh it's, yeah, it's something that shows itself gradually it's not something that 
replace uh, as a filter yeah. for the album in the beginning. Yeah, that's cool. It seems like there's a lot of like brick by brick construction that goes on. It's like, all right, we got this. We have a demo. All right, let's tweak the demo. Then we have this version. Then we have this, and we're adding on this. And it's just kind of like building a house almost. Is that would that would that metaphor be correct? I suppose. But I think it's about not knowing that you want to build a house to begin with. It's about being as open as possible. Yeah. Because that's the thing. If you if you have a a, a thing you want to do from the beginning, then you're already in that box. That's very that can be uninspiring. And now you know you want to write a song about uh, the love of your life or whatever. You know that can be maybe very yeah. hard to actually do. It's surprisingly hard to do it when you know what you want to do. But it's. I think it's a lot more inspiring yeah. not to know where you want to end up and just focus about the one note at a time and that that feeling of uh, of something uh, this is interesting I want to explore this these two notes I have now two notes can be enough for a riff or whatever so, um, so it's very much about starting with that brick as you said uh, yeah. or whatever it is and then building after that then you need like okay now I'm here but we are never scared of deleting stuff. So sometimes later in line, we, we found out that the, the the ceiling that we built for the house, it wasn't actually the ceiling. There was actually the the verse yeah. of the song instead of the intro that we... I think it's very much about keeping, staying open as long as possible because it's very uh, tempting to settle soon, early on. But it's also very like limiting because you just stop being creative a yeah. little bit, then now you have decided that this was the thing here. I think the longer you stay in that open zone, the, the better the end will be, and the easier it will be to, to collect the parts in the end because you have so much material because you weren't being filtered down in the early stages, committing to that this was the perfect thing. Yeah. So let's move into our uh, next patron question. Here you go, guys. Yo, Destin and Vola, this is Spencer. Um, just curious about what is the inspiration between all the great and crazy videos you guys put out for your awesome songs. Uh, love, applause of a distance, distant crowd. Talk to you later. Bye. This is also a question that I have. I've, I've been very curious about this, like where, where the ideas of your music videos and stuff come from. Um, that's been very different from song to song. It's a... Uh... It's much like when Eska talked about the lyrics, that it's not some we didn't have a like start off with a concept for the full album and that we want to do all these videos. It's uh, it's uh, very different from song to song. For the applause of a distant crowd album, the first single was Smart Friend, which uh, uh, a great artist called Greg Murray did the music video for, and he had he just did his, his thing basically. I think uh, sent him the lyrics and some thoughts about what the song was about for Asker. And um, of course he heard the track as well, Greg Murray, but the rest was totally in his hands, if I remember correctly. So it's it's not like we all of the time give someone, this is what we want, that this is uh, sometimes it's also some creative freedom that you give to someone and hope that it works. Yeah. So that was the story for that song. And I think the next single was that Alien Shivers. No, that was Ghost. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I believe believe it was Ghost. Yeah, which is more of uh, like a live performance of where you yeah, get, exactly. get to see see the band and see you guys and see the vibe. Yeah, 
So yeah, that was also a, we got a, a friend involved from Sweden who, who filmed that performance. Uh, it's a little bit from song to song. We have to we we know we have to do some kind of videos, and how can we make it as good as possible? Then there are other videos that I have done with yeah. my girlfriend, Alien Shivers, and uh, some songs from In Mazes, Straight as Guys, where it's more animated, where we also work totally from song to song, trying yeah. to figure out. We don't know what we're doing, so trying to figure out how what what's a way of making something that's cool and free, because budget is a thing. So yeah, that's it's more or less from song to song. You're right. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, they look really good. Yeah. I mean, they look really, really good. Yeah, I mean, they, and even the uh, the one for straight lines. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought was really interesting. It's one of those things. It's like, huh? Okay. Yeah, for for, for the new album, it's some uh, guys from Finland called Rivata who are helping us out with that. Yeah, with the videos. Already, the 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 promotional videos and everything are are really cool too. I think just the other day it was like, hey, you know, you were announcing witnesses coming, and uh, it was really interesting. That kind of cool. It's almost like a, a sonogram in a way, you know, that the face that's constructed out of these different waves and everything talking to you through this kind of digital encoded voice. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. I, I, I like it a lot. I loved it. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. It's about having fun. <laughs> you got yeah. to, you got to when it comes to that. That's awesome. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Uh, next, uh, next question from our uh, next patron here. Hi, Lola. This is Claudia. I'm calling from Norway. I'm curious as to what kind of music you listened to growing up. Are there any particular artists from your childhood that you're still very fond of today? Uh, I believe we've already mentioned Meshuga. I guess we can kind of go ahead and skip over that one. <laughs> but is there any any other artist outside of that that you guys are uh, very fond of today? The, the first artist I listened to extensively was The Beatles. I think the first record I... I didn't own it. I, I stole it from my parents, I guess. From their collection, but that was Help by the Beatles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I listened a lot to that, and yeah, I still still love that band. So that's uh, yeah. that's that's been an important part of my life, I would say. Yeah. What about you, Nikolai? I think, in if we're going back to childhood, I think that's what she's referring to, right? Then then it was yes, like I my dad's yeah. rec- record collection, and that was Toto and Pink Floyd. So oh my uh, not, we didn't listen. We didn't listen that much to, to Beatles actually. Um, it's more Pink Floyd and uh, Toto. And my my uncle was a professional musician, so we listened a lot to his band, Royal Hunt, um, which was like Wild Hunt, a Royal Royal Royal, like a Kings and Royal Royal yeah. yeah, Royal Hunt. Got it. And uh, so I guess that we also listened to to his music at the, my parents' place, but it wasn't like overly musical family. We just listened to music from time to time. None of them were mus- musicians, my parents, but uh, yeah. yeah, that was the early influence. That's cool. That's really cool. All right, let's jump into our next patron question. Here we go. Hey, Vola, this is The Stock, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your influences, both uh, lyrically and musically. Cheers. Besides Meshuggah. <laughs> <laughs> if actually he did mention like inspiration for lyric inspiration lyrically um i think that that sounds like an interesting quite i would i would like to know that ask her just uh if you have an inspiration or an influence lyrically that you that you draw from or some of lyricists yeah. that you admire or adore 
yeah, I, I have to mention Steven Wilson again. Absolutely. Because I, I really like how he, how he just, his lyrics are always very down to earth in the sense that he just writes about normal people's everyday life, like what they go through, ups and downs, heartbreaks, successes, yeah. loss, mourning. Yeah, that's, that, that was just very inspiring to experience that, that it's okay to just to write in that way and that it doesn't have to be like these big metaphors and about like discovering life in space. And you can, you can uh, it's all right to, to keep it very simple and to use everyday words. And also the fact that he often writes from, like, from other people's point of view, that he creates these characters, which just gives the option of being more eclectic, I guess, in, in terms of what the songs are about. You can, you can like look, look across the street into an apartment and think about now, now what are these people going through right now and sort of develop a story around that instead of always having to look at yourself. There, there might not be something important or interesting to write about in your own life. So, so why not try to, to create a story based on someone else's point of view that you can yeah. relate to? I think that's much more interesting. So, uh, yeah. And Stephen does that a lot with, you know, like stuff like Drive Home and uh, People Who Eat yeah. Darkness and stuff like that, where the videos are always from perspective of characters. Yeah. And that's actually something that I found to be very similar with your music videos is that they're usually, yeah. not usually, but some of them are revolved around a character, like Straight Lines is all around the boy. And uh, and Smart Friend was it was kind of like a little bit more of the atmosphere, the the place that you're in. And so I know that's that's one of the feels that he usually writes from, not like a first person yeah. perspective it's always like a character that's within a world or a situation or stuff like that and so i i knew that about him yeah. just because i'm a massive stephen wilson fan and so i immediately connected the two when i was listening to your guys music which is really cool it's really awesome cool. <laughs> nice we'll jump into our uh, next patron question here we got two more here hey lola this is jordan or slepty from the discord uh i'd like to know what your guys's main inspiration for your sense and your music. I know yeah. Martin's not here, but he uh, he's said the inspiration for the synths, the synthesizers and your music. Yeah. Inspiration for the synthesizers and you guys' music. You want to start? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a hard question to, to <laughs> answer. I think uh, in general, that Martin's greatest strength is the, the sounds. Like he's really interested in sounds. I think a lot of keyboard players are, aren't enough interested in the sound and too interested in the notes Absolutely. they play because it's, it's such an incredible in instrument that can fill up so many different things and roles and that's what he's good at, really good at I think. Um, but as far as it, what influences him and as I mentioned before sometimes we also write what the keyboard keyboard actually will play in the end so um, I guess it could be yeah. we, I can answer what my keyboard influence would be uh, that, that would be a, <laughs> okay, a, yeah. Danish, a Danish band called Mew perhaps uh, that's prog progressive rock that okay. are, using, uh, are using synth in a very nice way I think where it's also much about the sound and less about the voicings or even though they are, they're in there too but the um, and for Martin, he's listened a lot to electronic music, Trandemüller, yeah. um, also Mew, the same band I mentioned. Uh, yeah, yeah you, you probably know him even better. M E W. 
M E W. Okay, M E W Mew. Like the like the Pokemon. <laughs> I think there's a Pokemon called M E W Mew. Yeah. It's a really, really cool band, Danish band as well. So maybe that's why you don't know them. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it yeah, out. Yeah, I've always liked how, uh, uh, like how how uh, solo work uses uh, synths in their music, and I think they're very good at, at using like layers of like strings just to make things sound more grandiose. Um, so yeah, they're they're an inspiration, definitely. Yeah, and the the synthesizers also just add that that texture of almost the flight in the music because you guys are using yeah. from a production standpoint and i'm thinking of it as like a mixing engineer you know a lot of the guitars in the bass are either using seven string guitars everything's really deep and chuggy in, in certain areas and so the synths can just float kind of in that 3k and above range where they're just sort of they're really bright yes. and very they have a lot of presence there and um which what you were saying with uh, kind of more about the sounds of it affects us so much i think of uh porcupine tree and richard barbieri He's not a, he's yeah, not a, a a virtuoso. He's he just constructs incredibly awesome sounds that fit the music and they're su they're super unique and stuff like that. So yeah, I, which is another thing that I I mean I, I enjoy both sides, but I can enjoy somebody like Rick Wakeman and Tony Kay, but also really really like somebody like Barbieri who's just creating such interesting sound. It's more about the construction of the of the synthesizer. And, because there's endless possibilities when it comes to synthesizers. Where, where does it end? Hmm. Where does it end? Yeah. All right, let's see here. We got uh, we got one more question. One more question for you guys. This is a little bit of a longer one. Here we go. Oh, hello. Uh, greetings from Finland. And here's my question to you. Um, why does Scandinavia have such a large progressive scene right now, in your opinion, seeing as you fall under that category? Uh, there's a lot of prog metal bands like Opeth, Lepros, and Vola, of course, with tons of retro prog and folk-inspired retro prog, prog bands like uh, Arabs in Aspic, Ring One Mobius, Yurcha, and Wobbler. Uh, do you have any input as to where the Scandinavian prog movement stems from? Uh, thanks to Drew and Destin, and thank you to Nikolai and Asker as well for answering our questions. It's a really interesting question. I, I like his question. Was it about folk music in particular, or uh, yeah, he he was he was saying that. Uh, oh yeah, I couldn't hear it. Uh, yeah, he was saying there's a lot of prog, prog okay. metal bands uh, with also a bunch of uh, retro prog and folk inspired bands. And so uh, he was asking, do you have any input as to where the Scandinavian prog movement stems from? Mm, that's a good question. I guess there's such a there's such a wide variety of the modern side of it, but then people who are kind of copying the 70s movement, which are the people like Ring Van Mobius and Wobbler and stuff like that. It's yes. an interesting question. I would obviously... It's you very hard would. to answer. <laughs> it's a very difficult question because it's... Uh, yeah. I think you have to be kind of a historian to to answer it. Like we are... We're so... Yeah. It's not a conscious decision what we had listened to. We just pick and choose some bands that we matters to us and it's not when we don't put it in the bigger picture like that but i i could definitely say that there is in denmark at least there is a, a growth of like metal music in general i would say but i, I wouldn't connect oh, really? it to proc proc like pro progressive music is isn't hip in denmark uh at least now but yeah <laughs> 
but yeah. But, so in Denmark, we would probably be considered a little bit like a metal band, progressive metal band. But so it's like the the genres are so weird. You can you're the same band, but you would be called something in one country and something else in another. And gent in England, and uh, so it's it's such a compl- it makes it the question even more complicated to answer because uh, yeah, what what uh, what tree are we on on the if there's like a tree of bands where you come from, that's for, yeah, someone with more knowledge has to <laughs> chime in on that one. But of course, bands inspire each other, like band like Lepros uh, and uh, Opeth that have success. Um, other other um, people get inspired by that and and uh, yeah, and try and do something in that. Uh, Vain. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a, definitely not a one-word answer that you can <laughs> sum sum that one up with. It's very complex. But, but I think for, all kinds of stuff going on. But I think uh, as if combining us four in the band, I think the biggest influence is probably Stephen Wilson and Pogaban Tree, as you mentioned, Asker, and that's not a Scandinavian thing. Yeah. Uh, but of course, Opeth and Solwork are also great inspirations, and that's more prog and the Danish band Mew is another kind of prog thing. So yeah. it's, yeah, depends on what, what you choose. You can say it was Scandinavian, but it's also influenced by stuff that isn't Scandinavian. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's all, the wires are all interconnected. It's us stuff is inspired by RPI and there's just stuff from Scandinavia that is inspiring yeah. stuff like, yeah, from dream theater or rush being Canadian. And it's just, it's, it's interconnected. It's all over the place. So yeah, and and the the bands that he mentioned as well from the seventies, like the more old school prog bands, I think they can be as different to us than to any other genre of music. It's such a broad spectrum. Yeah. You have then I don't like we mentioned on our Spotify playlist that we're inspired by seventies prog, but I don't think our sound is that close to it. If you listen yeah, to albums from that time, so yeah. Yeah, it's more that we are inspired by bands that are inspired by <laughs> the seventies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I yeah. mean, that makes like Opeth, sense. for example, Porcupine Tree. It's uh, there's mm. a lot of Pink Floyd and Camel in, in those bands, for example. So, yeah, are you guys still yeah. big fans of those of those seventies guys? Like, do you, do you listen to all of like the pioneers being like Rush, Pink Floyd, Yes, Genesis, Camel, Renaissance, ELP, stuff like that? Mostly Pink Floyd, but also uh, Camel and King Crimson. Um, gotcha. But yeah, mostly mostly Pink Floyd. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's great. We've done uh, what episodes have we done on Pink Floyd? We've done we've done Dark Side. That was our second episode, and we've done right. one more record. Which one was it? We did Animals. Animals. We did Animals on on the show, which was nice. twenty episode twenty seven, I think, something like that. So anyway, well, guys, we'll wrap it up here. But before we wrap up, I wanted to go over your next album, your new album, which is Witness. That's going to be dropping May twenty first of 2021 which is this year and uh we won't go too much into it i don't want you to to spoil anything for us we'll have some of the tracks that are playing with us here i just wanted to know one question is there a message or anything that you guys want people to know about this new record of course the two singles that we've heard so far being head mounted sideways and straight lines are definitely much heavier more along the smart friend kind of deal uh, unlike stuff like ruby pool should we expect some of the peaks and valleys when it comes to the music or are you guys trying to go farther harder 
What's what's kind of the approach with this? What what do you guys want people to take away from the record? I think the the energy level is is higher throughout the album than uh, than for than on applause. It's, it has sort of a like an in your face vibe that's for in family yeah. with with Mesas. and yeah. this time we really wanted to make a, like a big hi-fi production. So that's why we got okay. the Danish producer engineer Jacob Hansen to mix it. You're not so that, mixing that's it. That's a big this time. difference as well. I'm not mixing it. Um, okay. That was yeah, just to, to try something new, because yeah, yeah I, I had mixed in mazes and applause, and those are quite different. Those two, so that's within my range right now, I guess. So to to to, to, <laughs> to bring it some yep. to a, to a third place, it's it's nice to to get someone else. Yeah. To uh, to work on the audio. So uh, yeah, is there any other aspects of exploration that I know we were talking about yeah. that earlier when it came from inmates to applause? Is there any more exploration from yeah. applause to this one that you guys can can so, share with us? It's very subconscious explorations that we're doing. <laughs> it's about <laughs> yeah. It's about that uh, that that feeling of something feeling fresh. So uh, it's uh, mm. it's I think much like. When you said Asker that applause was uh, was like a reaction a little bit to Mesas, this is definitely the same thing. That it's uh, it definitely doesn't feel fresh to do the same thing again. Yeah. So it's about discovering what's fresh now. That that was maybe a little bit more riff based this time. Like applause, yeah. we were a little bit tired of the way we wrote riffs on Mesas. This time around, riffs were maybe a little bit more inspiring again. So some of the songs are a little bit more riff. Riffy. It wasn't that yeah, conscious, no, but I get the that. songs are maybe stronger individually this time, or more like a independent. They work together as well, but they're also like they have to be single potential each every of every and every song, and maybe that also makes something into having a higher tempo or like a more in your face thing because that usually works well for singles, but it's uh, it wasn't something we set out to do that much um, but there are quite a quiet moments yeah. on the album as well so it's uh, if you like applause <laughs> I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't skip it yeah I I, I, I really think it, it turned out great this new record so looking forward to you guys That's to excellent. hear it as well yeah we are too yes we are too. We've, we've gotten two two of the singles out now: uh, "Head Mounted Sideways" and "Straight Lines." Also, I would highly recommend. This is me personally. I went. I got your creative pack, the, nice. the creator pack for "Straight Lines," because I was like, I have to hear the the ver- the vocals in the second verse with the vocoder thing going on. I love that. I geeked out over that. That was just one of the moments. I was like, oh, this is super cool. It's like super edgy, and but it fits so well in that part of the song. So I would highly recommend you guys checking that out. And uh, the new record comes out May 21st. You guys have new stuff coming. So be on the lookout for Vola's new stuff coming up. Drew, do you have anything else that you wanted to ask them before we close out everything? No, no, nothing on this end. This is all this good. Is great, though. Uh, awesome. This was, this was awesome. This is great. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the R podcast. This is These are our prog notes for Applause for Distant Crowd. Thank you, Asker Nikolai, once again, for joining us. Thank round you. of applause for you guys. Well, virtual round of applause. I'll Thank cue that right us. now. And Likewise, so, <laughs> if you uh, if you guys enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please consider becoming a patron so we can continue doing interviews and deep dives such as this. 
The link to that is in this episode's description. Uh, you can also get early access to our episodes. You can join our VIP Discord community where you get priority conversation with Drew and I, amongst other things that we're actually launching today. So if you go onto our Patreon today, we have just launched our Watcher of the Skies tier, which is including new benefits that will allow us to do video interviews such as these. Also, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Once again, these links are in this episode's description. But before we close out, Drew, I want you to tell us what record are we doing next on the show? What's what's coming next? It's a surprise. What? I know. We usually say which one we're doing next. We, but it's a surprise. But it's a surprise. We, we're not going to tell you. But but it's, it's a, surprise. a surprise. So you're just going to have to come the 15th of next month and be able to hear it because it's a complete surprise. Is it big? Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to yeah. be fun. It's oh. going to be fun. But, but yeah. we're not going to tell you. So we normally do that. So anyway, join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prague Rock. Thank you, Vola. Appreciate you guys Bye. for being on here. See you guys on Discord. Thank you guys so See much. See you. Thanks. <laughs>